Merry Christmas. I was in TJ Maxx this week and talking to the cashier, and she said to me, Merry Christmas. I said, Merry Christmas to you. And she said, I'm saying Merry Christmas because I said Happy Holidays earlier today and I got yelled at. So whoever you were, thank you. Merry Christmas. So we've decided, as you can see, we've decided to spend less, to give more, to love all, to worship fully. We've decided to take a breath. We've decided to put on the brakes. We decided to stop. We've decided to rebel. There is this Christmas commercial vortex trying to suck us up in this storm of Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays that turn into Tuesdays, that turn into Wednesdays, that turn into Thursdays and on. And so we say, no. It distresses me to hear people say, I love Thanksgiving and I hate Christmas. I love Thanksgiving because it's family and it's, it's fun and Christmas is exhausting. So we deliberately slow it down. We defiantly say, no more. And we invite you to join the journey. We invite you in these next weeks to give presents, us together. More than you give presents, those things you give. But how do we do that? How do, how do, we, how do we change the tradition? How do we change the habitual celebration that we're so used to? How do we stop that? Well, I think it first begins with this, that we have got to decide what child is this. And we do that by coming back to the Holy Scriptures. And for most of us, when we get to this part in the Holy Scriptures, it's where our minds click off. It's where we hear these wonderful truths and we get to this spot and then we just hear blah, 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 yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then we come back in. It's so spot when I when I was growing up, my parents would would have devotions for us a couple times a week, and so we would gather, and the devotional thing was we'd we'd all sit down on the couch and then and then my parents would read scripture to us, and then we'd all kneel down at the couch, and if we didn't fall asleep before it was our turn, we'd pray. And they would get to this spot in the scriptures as a reading, and it would start with, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat, and then he begat, and she begat, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat. In my mind, I'm saying, I want to be gone, 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 I want to be gone. I don't, want to, I don't care who begat, who, who cares? And by the way, at that age, who is, what is begat? Just clicked off. And so we begin the story as told by Matthew, the tax collector, this way. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1 a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, begat, 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 yada, 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 yada. That's how it goes. Any good storyteller will tell you that you've got to begin with a hook. You've got to begin with the thing that grabs them. It's that opening scene from NCIS where you wonder if Gibbs is going to make it through. 
It's that trailer from the, the new Mission Impossible movie where Tom Cruise is hanging on the world's tallest building. You go, ooh, got to see that. It's Garrison Keillor sharing news from that fictitious hometown of Lake Wobegon where he starts a little town that time forgot and the decades cannot improve where all the women are strong and all the men are good-looking and all the children are above average. And boom, there you are. This is the hook. This, this, this genealogy thing, here's who the family is. But I got to tell you, this is incredible reading. I love what Bishop N.T. Wright says. He says, this is the drum roll, the drum roll of Jesus' life. And any first century Jew hearing the story of Jesus first will have this question. Who is he? And who's his family? Where did he come from? And as Matthew unfolds this, they will soon discover to their amazement that this child, this story, this one is the center This one is the very center of life's story. So understand that Matthew writes from Joseph's view, and you've probably read the rendition from Luke. That's from Mary's view. And if it wasn't for Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, we would know nothing about the beginning of Jesus' life. And Matthew begins by sharing about this Jesus because he wants them to understand. He wants to reveal who this Jesus is and introduce the truths that Jesus not only taught, but he lived out. And so he says, here is who Jesus is. And so how does he start? He starts with this parade of ancestors. He takes six groups of seven names. And if you are of Jewish faith, you understand seven. You know that if it's seven, there's something important you need to know here. And Jesus is the last name of the list. He's the last one of the parade. How many of you have ever been to a Christmas parade? Been to a Christmas parade? You've been there, you know what happens. They start out with, you know, they'll have some bands and a drum and bugle corps, and they'll, they'll have floats, and they'll have dancers, and they'll have singers. And you get toward the end, and who's at the end? Santa on the fire truck, right? You don't start with Santa in the beginning. You don't go, here's Santa, everybody goes. You've got this parade. He is the culmination of everything that's come before. Matthew's saying, Jesus is the culmination of all of these others who went before. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them. Jesus is the star. This is the one. He is the culmination of everybody else in this parade. I like how it's described by Bishop N.T. Wright when he says the number seven was and is one of the most powerful symbolic numbers. And to be born at the beginning of the seventh seven in the sequence is clearly to be the climax of the whole list. The birth, Matthew is saying, is what Israel has been waiting for for 2,000 years. So, mister, that Samsung 42-inch HDTV, 1080p, 120 hertz, that you stood in line for, and you got it, and she won't let you open it till Christmas? That's just the beginning of the parade. Lady, all the stuff you've been laying away at Walmart, that's just the beginning of the parade. 
all the stuff you've been trying to do for Christmas, that's just the beginning of the parade because what you really want, who you really want, is still coming. For he is the culmination of all of that. So that if he is the center of this world story, what we will discover is that he is the center of our story. Now, my wife sometimes, I don't know where she gets the time, but sometimes she just does stuff. I don't know how she does it and why she did it and when she did it. We consider our staff here as family. We try to treat each other as family. And so she must have been thinking about how we're going to celebrate as a staff, as a family. And so she created this thing, and I don't. It's, and if you don't like it, just blame her. But this is her creation of how our staff should celebrate Christmas. We'll be wearing those next week. <laughs> now, look, when, when, when Matthew created this celebration of what we would call Christmas, he actually began, in many people's eyes, to tear down the family. There are people who looked at this list and they said, these folks can't be on this list. We're not dancing with these folks. They're not part of the party. Because here's the problem. He included in his list five women. You can't do that in that world. It is the male who carries the name. It is, it is the man who, who is the important person in, in this whole ancestry structure. And, and he's got women involved. And to make matters work, some, worse, some of them weren't even Jewish. What he was doing would be like inviting this Victoria's Secret models to a bar mitzvah. That's not kosher. You can't do that. Matthew is primarily writing to Jews, yet he blatantly invites outsiders who don't make the cut when it comes to ethnicity. They don't make the cut when it comes to theology, and they certainly don't make the cut when it comes to purity. Appreciate the words from Laurel Dykstra who says this, that among the generations of Jesus' forebearers, five mothers are included, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, and Mary. And none of the first four women is a model of sexual purity, and each is in some way an outsider in Israel. But each appears where powerful individuals fail to do justice and unconventional action is shown to be righteous. God's work is characterized to them in Mary as active, inclusive, and unexpected. See, when you read this, you just know Matthew is up to something. And he said, now, here's who Jesus is. Here's the family. 
take a look, now you'll understand the story. And so now he tells us the story that you are so familiar with, Matthew 1, verse 18. And this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, if, if, if Pastor John and, and Celeste were living in the first century, and they became engaged, legally, they are now married. Now, they, they can't live together yet, and they can't... They, they can't consummate the marriage, but they are legally married. In fact, for them to break off the engagement, they would have to file for divorce. During that engagement time could go up to 12 months. During that time, they would prove their integrity and their fidelity to one another. So you can just imagine that Celeste at about age 15 would go to Pastor John at age 63. No, no. At at probably about age 20. And he's working on the place that they're going to live because that's what he did during that time as they're getting ready because he's at his father's place building an estate. And so Celeste shows up and she says, hey, how are you doing? He says, man, the house is going good. Let me show you the tile work that I'm working on here. Look at this. I'm just, it's good. But she seems distant. She seems disconnected. He says, honey, what's wrong with you? She says, well, we got a little problem here. I'm pregnant. Can you just imagine this, the sense? Because this is the moment, the, the time of, of fidelity, of integrity, and, and now she's pregnant. So, so he's going to say, well, how? Who? Who did this? The Holy Spirit. Try that one. See how far that goes. Now understand that in good conscience... He cannot now marry her because he is a righteous man and she is tainted. She has committed some sin, obviously. She will be disconnected from the community and she really could be stoned, although they didn't do the stoning anymore. But she could have been. He, at that moment, understands what he must do. So he is going to follow the law, which allows him, because he loves her deeply still, but he's broken... He can divorce her, but he's allowed to do it quietly. So he's going to divorce her. But yet there's this divine encounter that suddenly changes him to the place that he's willing to embrace her condition, embrace her, and embrace the shame that comes with her. Why? We don't think that they had sex ed classes back then, and 
And they, I'm sure they didn't have pictures of fallopian tubes, so they didn't understand that stuff, but they did understand where babies came from. That's why when she was confronted with, you're going to have a child, she said, how can that be? Because I've not been with a guy. Not going to happen. And why he came to the conclusion, she's pregnant, she's been with a guy, and it's not me, so I'm clearing out. I'm divorcing her. But somewhere in all of this, they come to the conclusion that they're going to follow through with this. Why? Because this God of creation revealed to them that he is doing something new. That he's bringing the story of creation to its most highest level, creating something new out of the womb of something past, the old creation. I want you to catch this. There had never been this kind of creation ever before that he's bringing out of the old creation. That this creation supersedes all other creation. Even more so than when God stood there and said, let there be light and there was light and let there be land and there was land and let there be the animals and let there... This was greater than that because there had never been anything like this because this creation was going to fix what was wrong with that creation. What child is this? Joseph was beginning to understand he is our rescue. Jesus was a common boy's name in that first century. It came from the Hebrew name Joshua, the Hebrew Yeshua, meaning Yahweh saves. So there are a lot of people with the name Jesus, and generally you got the name Jesus because somebody else in your family had the name Jesus, so we passed that Jesus name down. So he might have got it from Uncle Jesus or Grandpa Jesus or Cousin Jesus, but there, you never, Jesus, a lot of people would turn around because that name is familiar. But when God said, you shall call him Jesus, they knew, wait a minute, this, this is just not something common. This is something that is peculiar, and this one is different. For they understood what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 130 when he said, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. When Joseph heard you name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, he knew this baby was a savior. And what would even be more startling that no one could actually really grasp was that this God in flesh, this Savior, this Messiah would save by his own death. No one could have ever imagined it. Do you remember, and you may still have these, you remember those Christmas lights that if one bulb went out, what happened? <sighs> Many a person has sinned with those lights. Because if the bulb went out, the whole circuit was broken. So what did you have to do? You had to go through and find which bulb was out. And if you didn't, then what did you do? Throw them out. Some of you sit here today and you feel like you're in darkness. And you don't even know why, but something has a disconnect. And you've been through trying to find out where that disconnect is that can give you light, but you just can't find it. And it's a sad time for you. And Christmas makes it even worse. 
We had a friend in Oregon, his name is Ty. Ty had a very successful business. He was a car dealer, had a great business. One of the top Dodge dealerships in the Northwest. Ty had a beautiful family. Ty had a gorgeous house, very affluent. He had all the great toys. In the the summer, he had all the boats he needed, and during the winter, he had all the winter stuff and the snowmobiles. He He had everything. Yet he said to his wife, I feel so dark inside. I don't know what it is. He had this disconnect. He had everything. Conversely, we had a friend named Don who lived in Saginaw, Michigan. Don was an alcoholic. His family had crumbled. His job was gone. He was pretty destitute. He knew he was an alcoholic, but he said, I, I, don't, know where the, I don't know what the problem is. He didn't know that, where the disconnect was. He didn't know how to fix that thing that was driving him to drink and drink and drink and destroying him. And the angel said to Joseph, this child will go ahead now and will enter into the lives of people like Ty and Don and he will show them where their disconnect is and he will reconnect them so light comes back into their life. It's what he does. The Jews understood that the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon was the last significant event that had happened before Jesus' birth. So then when the word comes by the angel that he will save his people from their sin, they suddenly understood that this was going to be liberation from exile, that this one Jesus was going to take people out of their darkness, this land of darkness, and bring them back to their home, a place of light, a place where their father would be. It's what the covenant said. It's what the agreement was that God said would happen. And how would we get there? If Jesus is our rescuer, then we need to understand that he is also our personal invitation. You know, you go back to to verse 23 and you read those words. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Where would that come from? That came from a time when Israel had turned its back on God. It was a horrible time. And the Davidic dynasty, David's dynasty, his throne was crumbling. And if it crumbles, then there is no hope for a Messiah to come and rescue them. It's all falling apart. And when there's this thought that there is no hope, this prophet named Isaiah says, but wait, God has a word for you. And here's what he said, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel. Even after all your failures, God still says, I'm sending my son, I'm sending myself to be there with you. I don't care how many times your marriage is broken down, I'm still going to be there with you. I don't care how many times you thought you were over the addiction and you fell, I'm still going to be there with you. Okay, how many times you said, no, God, please forgive me, and you blew it. I'm still going to be there with you because I'm Emmanuel, God, with you. Matthew frames his entire gospel that way. It starts with, his name will be Emmanuel, God is with us. 
And he ends it with Jesus saying these words, I will go with you and be with you to the ends of the age. He's got you covered the whole way. I cannot tell you how many times that I have failed and I thought I have just messed this up so badly. And in the process, I begin to discover, and this morning as we were worshiping, it just, it just refreshed me again, that he loves me beyond my comprehension. That he's still there. He's still Emmanuel God with us, even though he doesn't, doesn't need to be, or he, I mean, he needs to be, but he, he, he doesn't, I don't deserve it, and he shouldn't be, but he's there. I just feel so strongly, some of you sitting here today, just you've, you've, you've cut God off because you think there's no way he's going to care for me. You, you, you can't compare that to how someone else failed you because he is beyond that. Israel messed up, I can't tell you how many times, but every time when they cried out, there he was, Emmanuel, God with us, right there. He doesn't intervene from way out there. But he is very active, close to us, in ways that people cannot comprehend, in so totally unexpected ways. If there's anything that the virgin birth should tell us is that he doesn't deal with us from far away, but in the womb of our distress, he comes from the inside out and changes us. His actions have always been to rescue those people from broken, miserable states which relies totally on his initiative and his abilities. And when he does that, people then look at this and they just they, they, they say, from my favorite line, one of my favorite lines of, uh, of, a, of a, a princess bride, inconceivable. They just say, this is inconceivable. How could he be this way? So for, for, for Ty... His wife one day said, Ty, you're miserable. Would you just just come with me where I worship? He said, okay, I'll go. And so she's, she's talking to God. She said, oh, God, let him find home. And so he comes and he sits in a bench like you're sitting in, and, and we're going through the worship time, and he, he leans over to his wife and he says, feel like I'm at home. And at that moment, he found this Jesus who found his disconnect and put him back together again. We took Don and took him to a group of, uh, with a group of friends who had fought against addictions themselves, a place called Teen Challenge. And it took days for him to go through detox. It was horrible. But in months, Don would tell you that he found his home in Jesus and Jesus started putting the pieces back together and it saved Don's home. See, he's a rescuer and he's the invite. He comes and he says to you, come on, I'll, put, I'll, I'll find your disconnect. I'll change that. I'll, I'll do that for you. So, so many of us in this place have come to that spot. We've, we've arrived there. But you see, we don't stop there. What do we do with that? We just sit back and say, okay, Jesus, we're waiting for your return. No, because we've got to answer the second question. And the second question is this. Decide what moment is this? So I want to show you a belt buckle this morning. Can we have the picture up here? Let me show you a belt buckle. Gott mit uns. It means God is with us. You say, oh, that's great. Can I get one of those belt buckles? Sure, you get that, you can get one of those from a collector who collected it from 
Nazi Germany. That's what the Nazis wore as they invaded other countries and tried to kill the Jews and exterminate them. God is with us. They felt like God was with them in that destruction. So the question is, wait a minute, where, where is God? Where, is God with them? Was God with the, that group of people that burned down that mosque in Clackamas County in Portland, Oregon? God is with us. Is God with that lady who straps on the bomb and, and walks into a marketplace in Islamabad? Is God with her? Is God with the Church of England? And, and with, with those Puritans as, as they attack and destroy, try to destroy the Quakers? Is, is God with us? Is God with that pastor in Florida as he burns the Quran? When do we know that God is with us? Matthew makes it pretty clear. Mary could have resisted before the conception and said no, but she said, okay, as you want. Joseph could have resisted after the conception and said, no, I will divorce her. But instead, they submitted and embraced the incarnation, God in flesh. And Joseph found God in flesh by embracing this woman who was now a reject, this woman who was now scorned. This woman whose society would put to the side, he would take her in because isn't that what Jesus would do? Isn't that who Jesus focuses on? Those who are broken and marginalized and hurting and poor, that's where Jesus goes? Isn't that what he said his church would do? That God in flesh right now, right here, giving life to the unexpected, the unexpecting and the undeserving, that is God mit uns, that is God with us. That is our conspiracy. That we buy less, we give more. We love all. 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 Yeah, even the one you're thinking about right now, all. Because that's how we worship fully. So how do we bring this incarnation to the present. So my wife has, and I've lost count, six, seven nativity sets from places throughout the world. This is Joseph from, what is it called, Willow something. And so it's this whole wonderful nativity set, but one day, a couple years ago, Joseph fell over and broke his face. I never noticed until Pam pointed out that she had cut out a picture of my son Dustin and his face is in this now. <laughs> Long blonde hair and aviator sunglasses. So Joseph and Dustin are one. But shouldn't my face be there? Shouldn't your face be there? to say whatever I need to do to make this incarnation take place, shouldn't that be the case? So how do we do that? Let's do this. I challenge you. Number one, give presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. In the next few weeks and all the hurriedness that, that comes with this season, would you just stop and would you make it a point to not hurry anywhere? 
and look around you and listen to the people around you that may need presence, someone to talk to them. It may be the widower next door to you. It may be your daughter as she returns from college. It may be your kids who you take care of every day, but they need to talk, they need to play, and they don't need to be run off to Walmart one more time. They just need to hang out together. Would you give time and would you give listening? Would you hear? Because isn't that what Jesus did? Would you make a deliberate effort to slow down and spend time with people? You don't need all those gifts. You know you don't. Every year after you've done it all, you go, oh, Jesus, look at all they took back. And, and now you, you've, you've gone to gift cards. You just give them a lot of gift cards. Cut it back, except mine. <laughs> Isn't that how we are? Could you just agree when you meet together for parties, you, you, you stop the gift exchange thing? Nobody wants to do it anyway. And you're re-gifting everything you get. So just stop doing it. Just say, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to spend time with each other, and, and I'm going to find some people who, just, who need someone to listen to them and, and be with them. Would you give presents and would you do this? Would you give life? Last year, we said we'd spend less. We weren't going to jump into that $45 billion we spend in America. So we spent less. And we said we're going to give more. So here's what we said. We're going to collect what you don't spend on Christmas Eve. And so we did with your help and with people in the community. And we gathered about $37,000. And you know what we did? We put two water wells in the Lobosoit village in Tanzania and we saved lives. That's a whole lot better than an Xbox, I'm telling you. <laughs> the people wishing for an Xbox did not clap at that moment. <laughs> we saved lives. And God is with us. But that was last year. What is he saying at this moment? What are we doing now? So I've invited a friend to come and express to you this morning where the incarnation of Jesus can go, where we can say God is with us and show them God is with them. In a place of the world that most of us have never been. But Jesus wants to be there. And so I want you to welcome this morning someone who's been with us before as a friend of this church. Would you please welcome Steve Savlitz, Director of the Global Leadership Project. Would you welcome him? Good morning and Merry Christmas. Wow, what a wonderful thing you did last year in providing water for people. And and Pastor Jack has been leading us through this thought of incarnation. It says, when you think about creation to Christmas, from the crucifixion to the resurrection to the return of Jesus, it says God wants to demonstrate his love. He wants to demonstrate his love. Not just talk about it, not just think about it, but demonstrate it. The, The Greek there is very powerful. To come alongside and make an exhibition of with favorable results. To demonstrate. And we've been discovering, whether it's Erie, Pennsylvania, or Eugene, Oregon, where I live, or in far-flung places in the world that we'll talk about in just a moment, like South Sudan, 
tangible acts of love and relational connections are the pages that we may put the name and words of Jesus on and be heard. And the point of the sharing, the point of the story, the point of the telling is that we're heard, not just that it's said, but that it's heard. This was the heart of the Apostle Paul, that all the Gentiles might hear, which is way different than me coming back saying, well, at least I told them. And so these tangible acts of love, so God becomes flesh. It's tangible. The Apostle John will write, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have handled of the word of life, this we proclaim to you. On July 9th, 2012, the newest nation was born in our world. It's the 54th on the African continent, the nation of South Sudan, born out of great travail and tribulation, decades of civil war, north and south. When that wasn't flaring up, it was south to south. I've had the privilege of being there now a couple of times. And, and in, in this process, the discovery of the need that's there and the capacity for us to be able to bring a tangible act of love to the people of South Sudan. October last, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was asked to meet with the ambassador from Sudan. And so I met with him. This was, this was before the, the vote that allowed the South to become its own distinct nation. He happened to be from the South. The way the comprehensive peace agreement worked was that each year, each, every four years, Khartoum would send two of its ambassadors to the states. One would go to the U.N., one would come to Washington, D.C. They'd spend two years and then switch. So the man that I met in D.C. happened to be from the South. And, and, and I was asked to meet with him. We had a wonderful time praying together. He's a wonderful man. And I asked him about the South and what was going on. And he expressed to me the fact that in South Sudan, there are only three. There's, there's about 10 million people. There are three neonatal beds in all of South Sudan. When an infant is born and needs some help, the neonatal unit is the one that provides that help for the baby to live, which means the world to a mom and a dad. I can promise you that. That is a universal the world over. Three neonatal beds. And so we begin to talk and think and pray. And so as I have had a chance to be there a couple of times and meet with Ministry of Health people and put together the idea and talk directly with them, what's, you know, what's, what's your health care system desires and what are your priorities? And the undersecretary looked at me and she said, everything's a priority because we have nothing. The last five years, the CPA, the North, invested zero. And so we have trained people. I met three nurses, wonderful nurses, in this neonatal unit, and they're trained. They, and they, they, can, they can care for three babies. And then what you'll find is once in a while, they'll put a couple of babies in the same unit together, trying to stretch out life. And so we put together a plan, and what we'll be able to do with, with, with help and partnership is we'll put together a neonatal unit for the Juba Teaching Hospital in South Sudan. There are three teaching hospitals in South Sudan. This is the major one. And, and this will be a, a full perimeter central station. We'll bring trainers to train, biomeds to train the biomeds, a year of consumables. All the equipment is warranted for a year. And we'll have a chance to bring to South Sudan a gift, a tangible act of love that will allow medical personnel to do what they're trained to do, that will allow babies to live, mamas to rejoice, and, and other medical students to be trained and forward the entire health care of a nation. South Sudan has been oppressed and, and, and decimated for decades, and now she has this moment, and there are people in South Sudan living, breathing, believing, and praying for God to do what can't be done 
for God to do what can't be done? And would there be those who would come alongside and partner with us? And so it's our hope and prayer that the Lord's going to make a way for this to happen. We have great partnerships with medical people and with, with industry standard people like GE and what have you, an NGO, it's marvelous. And all of this we can put together for $60,000. It's, it's a miracle because, I mean, the, the, the value is way beyond that. And this is, this is our desire to be able to bring to South Sudan a tangible act of love. This is the discovery. This will work in your life too, tangible acts of love. And relational connections are the pages that we may put the name and words of Jesus on and be heard. Thank you, Pastor Jack. So I leave you with two thoughts this morning. The first, I ask you to do this. Decide yourself or his family. We're going to cut back a little or a lot, whatever the case may be, on what we give out. And we're going to see what God puts in our hands through that and through other ways. And we're going to gather here Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and because Christmas Day is on Sunday, our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services will be identical. And we invite you to choose either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day because they'll be the same service. And we're going to take an offering in both of those services to put a neonatal intensive care unit in South Sudan where there's only three beds right now. And in that way, they're going to know that Jesus does care for them. And Jesus is going to know that we are serious about following him. And so would you work on that in these days to come? Would you prepare yourself to do that? Join with Pam and me and our staff. We're going to, we're going to f- find our way in accomplishing that and then be here one of those two services, and if you can't be here because you're out of town or whatever, then get that to us. The second thing this morning is this. Some of you are seated here today, and when I described being in the darkness and in the disconnect, you said, that's me. I want to tell you that Jesus came to rescue you, and he is a personal invitation into God's presence, into the home that he's prepared for you. The scripture says this, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all impurity. Scripture says that this is the story, this is the the, the testament that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son and he who has the son has life. If you'd like to walk in that journey, know more about that journey of following Jesus. Then before you leave here, out in the, in the lobby, in the center out here, it's called the West Service Center. If you'll stop by and just ask for the gift that Pastor Jack was talking about at the end of service, we have a gift to help guide you on that path. If you have any questions about that path with Jesus, we're here to talk to you about that. You can even call the church if you want to come in and talk with one of us. We are available because we want you to join us on this journey of walking with Jesus. We want you to be part of it. Would you stand, please? I hadn't planned on doing this, so I may get it in the wrong key, but I want us to sing to end this. And I haven't really publicly sang with anybody yet a Christmas carol. So we're going to do the Hallelujah Chorus. No, we're not going to do that. (laughs) But just sing this with me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature.
nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. And he rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders wonders of his love god bless you have a great day merry christmas